Hey everybody, this is Mikey D. Welcome to my stoop. A long time ago, in a far-off corner of a big city, was a small American town called East Harlem. There were a lot of faces, but no Facebook. Some twits, but no Twitter. And we didn't use a device to socialize. We opened the door and walked out to our stoop. It seems like such an ancient time, like it was a lost city. Almost as if I had watched it all from the stoops of Atlantis. I'm not here to come off as an old vinyl broken record spinning past 45, spouting that it was all better than back in the old school days. The fact is, much is better today. The problem is we all act as if it weren't. We walk around handheld, guided, adjusted, steered clear, ears padded, soles locked in iron, cleansed down to the micro level. There will be six inches of snow. Snowmageddon. Thus, food hoarding, information hotlines, and plans of hunkering in the bunker, calls for stay safe out there. Whatever happened to have fun out there when the snow falls? I mean, as a kid, snow meant no school and hours of joy building giggles, having snowball fights, and diving headfirst into snowbanks until every limb was numb. We spend far too much time on sofas binging TV and not enough time outside because we've been brainwashed to think that dangers lurk at every corner. In actuality, we've never lived in safer times. Look it up, the actual numbers. Back in the days of my stoop dreaming, we had something kids today never have tasted. Freedom to do. And what do we do? Some damn dangerous, crazy, stupid, and utterly insane things that in the end toughened us up to face the real world and exercise our ability to think, manage challenges and dangers, and hone our imaginations. And man, it was fun. My friend Scott had the biggest grin on his face when I opened the front door. He was standing there with a dirty duffel bag clutched in his hand. His eyes dropped to the bag and he unzipped it, just an inch to tease me with the contents. This was impossible. He might as well have been standing there with the Ark of the Covenant. I recognized those little red cylinders anywhere. He was nervous as hell and his eyes kept shooting towards the street. He was in the little sanctuary of the cubbyhole down from the front gate of my building, but he wouldn't relax until he was completely out of eyesight of the rest of the block. I pulled him in by the arm and into my house. I locked the door and we raced to my backyard. Luckily, my mother was grocery shopping and my older sister was upstairs, listening to the lamblies down on Broadway, which filled the air. The coast, as they say, was clear. We settled in the back of the yard on a small brick wall that marked off a garden area where nothing but weeds and English ivy grew. We recovered from any nosy eyes of neighboring buildings and the canopy of my crabapple tree that was dotted with clumps of the tart fruit. He zipped open the bag and held it open to fully reveal the treasure. It was full of M80s. Full. Dozens of them. In the 70s, these things went for a buck apiece. These babies were a quarter stick of dynamite, each. It was only on rare occasions when we were bored enough to pull what was left of our allowances to buy one. Just one to blow up a plastic model that we could no longer bear seeing intact. There was no way he bought these. This was a year allowances were. And he flipped out and robbed Jimmy the plumber who sold fireworks down the block. Yeah, right. Where'd you get these, I asked. In the dumpster. It was just sitting there, he said, wild-eyed, out of breath. See, a dumpster in East Harlem in those pre-video game days was more than any other playground for us kids. It was a potential source of treasure. 
old toys, wheels for scooters, old rubber balls and duffel bags full of highly dangerous and extremely fun explosives. They were not fuses, I suddenly realized, and they're wet. Scott shrugged. Actually, so did I. The treasure lay in its innards, the black powder, and there was lots of it. The cardboard tubes were damp, but the magic dust inside would be dry as a desert sand. Genies, we both smiled and agreed that was how we would spend the afternoon. A genie for the uninitiated was what you made with dud fireworks. Carefully unrolled the paper and dumped the powder onto a step of the stoop or on the sidewalk. You placed a fuse into the pile, lit it, and watched as a little poof of flames rose up with a mini mushroom cloud of smoke. A genie. No wishes necessary. Firecrackers made the standard genie by which all others were compared. A jumping jack, though, made multicolored genies. A festival ball made big, colorful genies that left large white burn marks on the sidewalk. A cluster B rocket made dangerous, unpredictable genies that often sent little fireflies of white flame scattering like a disturbed hornet's nest. Very cool. An M80, which is also called a blockbuster, although some differ with the semantics and call Ashcans M80s. Well, I use the term M80 and blockbuster interchangeably and use Ashcan for the M80's baby cousin, sort of like a water bug versus a standard roach. We needed to get to work. We had to crack open all these bombs and collect the powder. There was an old coffee can sitting on the wall that had been using to collect pill bugs the day before. This would do. Our smiles became tinted with this little unspoken nervousness as little by little the blue Maxwell House can filled with the shimmering silver gunpowder. Our hands were glistening with a metallic sheen and a sulfuric m- m- smell mixed with the cat pee odor of the many Iwantis trees that dotted the yards of East Harlem. Distinct trees. This was a species, by the way, that was the metaphorical subject in the tree grows in Brooklyn. The ancient Chinese called these weed-like deciduous ghetto palms, the tree of heaven, and used it for medicinal purposes, ranging from mental illness to baldness. <laughs> I had no idea at the time that I should have been rubbing those smelly leaves on my scalp to fend off my inevitable hair loss. That stench, though, was the perfume of the summers of my youth in East Harlem. Gunpowder and stink trees baking in humidity and hot sun. Estee Water, are you hearing this? A sheer quantity of gunpowder was scaring the crap out of me, but a devious thought was filling my mind. I guess apparently the smell of the Atlantis trees was not enough to cure the mental illness brewing. My thoughts would land me on a no-fly list and label me a democracy-hating terrorist if I had them today. Yet evil intent was the farthest things from my minds. We had no reason to want to destroy anything and certainly not hurt so much as a fly. It was just cool to experiment. Insanity is the sperm to the egg of wisdom that can at times give birth to genius or birth fingers. We could probably pack the can, I thought. Scott smiled and light it behind Franklin or in Jefferson Park. I did some mental calculations, a quarter of a stick of dynamite each, about six dozen M80s. Crap, man, that would be one hell of a bomb. My heart raced. That might be too big. We'd blow a crater in the ground. Somebody would call the cops. A man would be wild. Let's just light this as a genie, Scott suggested. I nodded. He was right. We needed a fuse, though, a long one. All we had were a few little two-inch pieces, so we tied together three or four and just poked one end into the silver mound of powder. There was no way we were going to set this off with an audience-free zone of my yard. We wanted the world to see our mother-loving genie of all time. I grabbed the can and we carefully brought it outside. We scanned the street for cop cars. The block was alive with people hanging out on stoops. We could see all the way to 2nd Avenue we were free of the law. We had to do this and do it fast. We stepped off the curb and gently set the can onto the hot asphalt. 
They smirked to each other, and Scott handed me a pack of matches. I struck the match. The flames sizzled to life, and we got ready to haul ass. I touched the match to the fuse, and after a quarter second that lasted six days, it burst to life like an awakened cobra. We took off and plopped down on the stoop and watched as if someone else was doing this. My heart was pounding. And suddenly, like a mini Vesuvius, the white fire rose from the can. Plumes of smoke quickly washed across the street, and the intensity of the fire grew until a mini star was burning in the middle of 118th Street. It was making a roaring sound as the flames popped the hit summer air like a jet engine. I looked to Scott, and we both had the same rotten headlight expressions. Windows were opening, and heads of old ladies and nosy men were popping out to investigate. The entire block was getting clouded in with the white, acrid smoke, and a sphere of white light cast an eerie glow on the facades of the brownstones. How long is this thing going to burn? I swore I saw a police car turn the corner from First Avenue, and my heart pounded in my nostrils. It was hard to see through the haze. I exhaled when I saw it was just a blue car which came to a halt ten feet from the giant genie. I remember there was a science fiction novel in my father's book collection called The Fire Clown, and I was always fascinated and a bit freaked out by the eerie cover art. It featured an atomic bomb like mushroom of fire with the head of an evil clown. Looking at this plume of smoke and intense glow of fire, I had created my own fire clown on 118th Street that summer afternoon. Finally, the jet engine slowed and the intensity of the flames eased. The moment silent. The crowd that had gathered to watch went about their business, and a few applauded. The blue car drove off, pulling a cloud of smoke with it, and after a few long seconds, the smoke cleared, and Scott and I went to investigate the aftermath. Where's the can? Scott said with a chuckle. I smiled. It was gone. Melted. All that remained was a white burned ring on the macadam. The big daddy of old genies, the white-hot fire clown, had made its appearance, and then, without a wisp or a whimper, vanished. And to this day, if the wind is just right, you may catch a little scent of that acrid smoke that day when they all watched from their stoops as the fire clown took over 118th Street. This has been the Stoops of Atlantis with Mikey D. Stay tuned for future tales and bizarreness from that ancient land called East Harlem. Check me out on Facebook. <laughs>